If we were to stop and think about it in any detail, perhaps even actually overthink it, Jesus' metaphor in our gospel passage might seem like a vicious slander on God. Comparing God to a thief? Is that really the best metaphor Jesus could come up with? Of course, we're not unaccustomed to Jesus using unconventional metaphors when teaching about God. So likely he isn't being slanderous here. But what can we learn? Thieves of the housebreaking kind Jesus references tend to show up when nobody's expecting them. In fact, they've often done some rather creative work ahead of time to know what houses to rob and when people are least likely to be home. This leads to all sorts of warnings. We hear in the media, don't tell people on Facebook when you're on vacation. Or things like, always have someone stay at the house during a funeral because thieves read obituaries. Dire warnings about the way we advertise our availability to thieves. I've actually been the victim of burglary twice in my life in two different cities. Many of my friends have likewise been visited by thieves. And I want to say here that violent home invasion style robberies have become more common in recent years, and I don't want to be misunderstood as ignoring those crimes. But the average thief shows up when nobody's home, takes material things that are thought to be of value, and leaves without ever posing a major threat to anyone's life. Now don't misunderstand me, I'm not condoning burglary here. It's still a crime, and usually rightly so. However, of all the people I've known who were victims of ordinary run-of-the-mill house burglary, nobody has ever been forced into bankruptcy by the experience. I've met or known many people who ended up in the hospital due to assault, but never one for burglary. Thieves take things that they, and often we, think are valuable. But what is their value really? An old school friend of mine had his family's Christmas presents stolen when we were kids. But much like the famous Grinch of Dr. Seuss, the thief could not actually steal Christmas. A thief who steals an engagement ring might indeed cause some sorrow beyond a material loss. But in the final analysis, any real meaning that ring might have symbolized runs far too deeply to be stolen. Even when my bicycle was stolen from inside this church, I was inconvenienced and it ended up costing me some money to retrieve it. But ad time equivalent to the amount of media coverage the church received would have cost us many times that amount. Often the value we ascribe to things which can be stolen is not as high as we think. The stereotype of thieves robbing houses is that they come at night. That might not be universally true today, if even it ever was. And depending on what translation you're reading, it may or may not be part of Jesus' metaphor here. But the NRSV, which we read this morning, reads, If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Paul reflects this language in his first letter to the Thessalonians when he reminds them that they already know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Just as Jesus and Paul are not calling God a literal thief, Let's look at it as a metaphor. Night is a time of darkness. Even today, with electric lights everywhere, night is a place of fear. There are many places I have and would go in the daylight that I might describe as places I wouldn't go at night. Darkness and fear are two things that we know a little bit too much about right now. 
To my knowledge, I've never met any of the six children killed in the Woodmore bus crash last week. My wife does know a few teachers who've taught the students, but I don't, at least not personally. Most, if not all of you listening to me this morning are probably in the same situation. I would never equate my grief in the face of this tragedy with the grief of families and friends who actually lost someone this week. Yet my darkness and fear are real. Dozens, if not hundreds, or perhaps even thousands of parents who have placed their school-aged children on buses every morning since school began became afraid to do so the day after the bus crash. Can anyone blame them? Is there anyone who would be so bold as to say out loud, that their fear wasn't real, wasn't justified, or wasn't rational. Justified and rational or not, most of us can understand the reality of it. In the face of a tragedy claiming the lives of six children you don't know, but who might, under just slightly different circumstances, have been your child, driving them to school gives you something you can do when you otherwise feel helpless. There's a lot of anger in the wake of tragedies like this, too. Lawsuits have already been filed. More are certain to follow. I don't know the bus driver any more than I knew any of the children. Neither did most of Chattanooga. And given the scope of the media coverage, most of the nation. That hasn't stopped him from being the target of vilifying anger. By all accounts, he seems to be guilty of grievous and criminal misconduct, and he should face consequences. But the statements like, all you have to do is look at him to know he was, wasn't fit to drive children on a bus, really describe anything real? Last month, there was an article in the Times Free Press about my old high school bus driver being inducted into the Transportation Workers Hall of Fame. Now, when I was in high school, he looked like one of the guys from Duck Dynasty, and that was 20 years before they made that look socially acceptable. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame for having an unprecedented safety record. Anger gives us a place to focus in the darkness of tragedies like this. Vilifying the driver makes us feel like we're doing something. This kind of fear and anger doesn't really help us in the long run. It may be a stress reliever and a motivator in the short term, but if it's held on to for very long, it can actually hurt us. Fear and anger can exacerbate all sorts of biological responses in our body. Anger at one person can lead us to anger in others. Fear in one situation can become fear in many. I'm not saying fear and anger have no value. They can be motivating. They can lead us to demand better training and screening of drivers. They can motivate us to demand better safety equipment on buses. However, they often have less value than we think, and we hold on to them far longer than we should. Advent is a season symbolized by light. In many parts of the world, it's getting darker earlier and remaining darker longer this time of year. This morning, we have lit one candle in the midst of this darkness. One candle doesn't dispel much darkness. Really, a single candle is more an acknowledgement of darkness than an effective means to dispel it. When we acknowledge darkness, but lack the means to turn it to light, what we need is hope. Hope that the darkness will recede hope that light will increase. Far from a slander, Jesus' metaphor of a thief in the night can give us hope in the darkness of our communal night, of any night. 
Like a thief, God will come and take from us the things we think are valuable. God will come and rob us of the fear we hold on to. God will come and rob us of the anger we think so valuable. God will come. God comes to us. God comes to the families and friends that experience real loss. God comes to the mother of the bus driver who mistakenly ascribed the wreck to God's will. And God even comes to the bus driver in his jail cell. The good news in hours like this is not found in answers to questions like, did God make this happen? Or even, why did God let this happen? The good news is found in Jesus' statement that like a thief coming in the night, that is like someone coming without us knowing, when we least expect it, and when we are in the midst of darkness and fear, God comes to us. God is with us.